We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores, the games every day. Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers gotten back on track over the last couple of games, beating the Portland Trail Blazers and then the Golden State Warriors in uh, a couple of really great defensive performances. Mike, what what's the team's view on kind of how we've gotten back on, on track on not just the defensive end, but on both ends of the floor? Yeah, it's a couple of things. And the first one, Pete, is LeBron, I think, just decided, OK, we're, we're not losing a fifth straight game. And so you saw him in the first quarter of Portland go into what's essentially his playoff defensive mode where he was just destroying mm-hmm. stuff. And he was, you know, he was some Frank Vogel said that he was playing middle linebacker. Stu Lance likes to say it's more of like a free safety. You know, I say maybe it's somewhere in between, but. He's doing a mix of things back there where he's he's calling out coverages and then he's jumping passing lanes and doubling at certain times and uh, not letting his man get by him. His, his ISO stats have been ridiculous these last couple. So I think that that right there when the Lakers still follow LeBron and when they saw that he was going to be fully engaged on that end, boom, everybody else picks up the slack. And it didn't even matter uh, to an extent for the short term that AD wasn't on the floor. And that to me was the personality of both games. And Darius, I also thought that, you know, when you have Damian Lillard and you have Steph Curry, that helps get your attention on that end. And all of a sudden, the Lakers are then also reining in shots on the other side of the court because that gets the whole offense going. And all of a sudden, the threes are falling by the Warriors game and, and they look like the Lakers again. And I, I don't, I'm trying to remember if I saw a tweet from you or maybe it was a text, but it was something along the lines of like, yeah, that, like that's more like it. You know, like it, I've been kind of it, it's about time. It's you were ready to see this kind of play again, right? I was, you, you know, we can't discount Schroeder's return in, in all of this. Um, 
Good point. I think Braun's commitment to defense, I think, directly reflects the amount of load he's had to carry offensively. And a part of me just wants to see LeBron just dominate all of the time, right? I think that's how we all are on both sides of the ball. We we know how capable he is, but we also have talked about on the pod lately about how he's been balancing how hard he's going to go in any given game based off of his own calculations internally, right? About how much he feels like he needs to give in order to get a win while also understanding that he was the only guy out there, basically. No Schroeder, no no AD. Um, he knows that they are going to have to emphatically win the minutes that he's on the floor. And I think he's he was making calculations almost possession to possession on how to manage that. Um, one of the things that stood out to me is that LeBron's barely been handling the ball in terms of bringing the ball up the floor since Schroeder came came back. Um, not even when Schroeder is off the floor, like Caruso's been doing it or THT's been been doing it. And I think even that subtle shift in that has probably given Braun a little bit more energy defensively. And I think the team has really needed that, Pete. Like there were a few possessions before Schroeder returned almost every single game where I felt like, oh man, LeBron isn't just an autopilot. He is actively like I'm in hibernation mode to a certain extent, right? Like let me reserve every bit of energy I have in order to what I have to do offensively. And these last two games has been on the complete other side of the spectrum with how engaged he's been, with how he's been protecting the rim, with how he's been navigating weak side rotations, especially. So talk to me some in any direction you want, like how much of this do you think is Schroeder related? How much of it is sort of what you talked about? What, well, what Mike was saying, like Braun just decided, all right, for the next little stretch, I'm, I'm turning the volume up again. Yeah, I think, I think that when we look back at this season, there's a good possibility that that this little stretch that we just went through where we lost the fourth straight is one of the best things that happened to this team because they were able to win games on talent. And then all of a sudden they have this huge basketball problem that they never had before. There's no coincidence that we win the first game that now it was against Minnesota, but we win the first game that AD misses because we have Schroeder. Schroeder misses these four games. We lose all of those. And then we look great again once Schroeder comes back. Now, that's not just because of Schroeder as, as good as he's been, but I think that you talk a lot about those calculations, Darius, where in those that four-game set stretch, we could have pulled out a couple of those games. Um, I think that overall, the amount of energy that LeBron would have had to expend was, was massive in order to get there. And I think that calculation is that, is this really worth it? And so I think that losing a few games put a sense of urgency into the team. And that's one of the things that I think is going to carry through. For example, on the offensive end, Mark, I've been, I've been kind of not given Mark's side on offense, but I've brought up a couple times, like you have to shoot when you're open. That's been a big thing with Mark. And as AD's been in AD's absence, Mark is shooting when he's open and he's shooting the three ball well, but he's not, even if he wasn't, he's not passing up 
shots that he was passing up before. He can have shot selection issues in the opposite way that a lot of guys can in that there are times where, you know, we talk about creating advantage and all that. And then it's Mark at the top of the key and the nearest closeout guys at like the dotted circle. And his first instinct is to look for the even more open guy. And sometimes in a lot of times by design, especially when we've got Dennis in the lineup and LeBron, like by design, he's the guy that needs to take the shot because that's who the defense is playing off of because they've got to dedicate more attention to LeBron. They've got to account for Schroeder's speed. Uh, KCP's woken up. Keith has started to, I really like Mark Keith Morris. I really like his game. Mike, you can attest to, to my fandom of, of his when we, you know, yeah. when we signed him last year, but a Yo, big class. part of, but a big part of Keith's game is mental engagement. He's really smart, right? He, one of my favorite things is that he would never miss a defensive rotation. He's, physical he's been great on the offensive boards these last couple of games he's got some like mid post you can throw it down there and if he's matched up against a guard he's gonna shoot that turnaround jumper and shoot it over the top and he's done that last couple games i feel like going from oh we're talented enough to play really well for 10 minutes to oh crap we've got like one ball handler on the whole team and then we lost four in a row and now with Schroeder's return and against these these good teams, Mike, I think we've seen kind of the the diesel engines starting to turn a little more in Mark and Keith uh, in in some of our other players. While both Mark and Dennis in particular have really started to figure out this is where my shots come from in this whole ecosystem. So I'm actually really excited with what I'm seeing these last couple of games. Yeah, the quick point on Keith, I think that Vogel gets some credit for putting him in the starting lineup and, in a sense, activating him more and trusting that Kyle Kuzma, who, by the way, gets credit also for going back to the bench and then still producing. You know, Kuzma was really good last night in limited mm-hmm. minutes, and like that's another thing I think that helps. But I I, th- I guess it was Freudian, the reason that I brought LeBron up first, and I had mentioned Schroeder to you guys earlier before we started recording, but Schroeder really, it took a, about the whole first half of the Portland game to kind of get going. You know, he wasn't really like he wasn't hitting shots. He wasn't really activating. He was making some mistakes as he should have been. Right. He hadn't played for seven days, but LeBron had already started to go. And so I think it's less about even Schroeder's skill set and more just, again, mentally. All right. Here's another guy like for getting a little closer. And that allowed LeBron to say, all right, like now is now it's time to put the, the gas pedal down. And that to me, guys, remains big picture why no matter what's going on with this team and you lose to Utah by a bunch, it's like, okay, yeah. But like, we've, we know that even if you put, if you put guys that are even of lesser um, value around LeBron and he's still engaged, it's that whole thing. Like if you put LeBron and a roster of G league guys, would you for sure not pick them to go to the playoffs? If you told LeBron that he had to get the team to the playoffs or some sort of catastrophic uh, traffic event was going to happen. Like, that's the that's the mode that he can still get to that I'm still so deferential to uh, and that I still have not seen other teams have an answer for. Engage. And it's a great point, Mike, about Schroeder sort of having to feel his way back into the game against Portland. Um, he ended up with some gaudy numbers that game, but it didn't start out so hot, just as you mentioned. But but Braun was there right right from the beginning. Um, like I was saying earlier. There is a calculus and everything's connected, right? And and there's no one I trust more than LeBron to sort of figure that stuff out. It's why big picture, I was less worried about 
like the state of the Lakers. There are smaller things that I think in a future pod will we'll probably start to explore where certain attributes are um, in terms of like a ranking one through 10 or whatever, and, and how concerned we might be about any given one of, of those things. But Schroeder's return and Markeith's engagement level and KCP's general sort, sort of like, Oh, the shot is the the comfort level with his shot returning. Um, I thought Alex has played really well the last couple of games, just in terms of his, his on ball work, like, and all of this, when I talk about the connectivity of things, one of the ideas that I've presented a lot is, is like slotting. Right. And and I think Schroeder coming back, especially really helps slot guys appropriately. And, And even though Alex, for example, I think is a perfect example of this when Schroeder was out, he was asked to do the same stuff that he's doing the last couple of games, but he was asked to do it like 50 or 60 or 70% more often, right? And that lift is just heavier for a guy like him. Whereas now these last couple of games, Pete, we've seen him get into the pick and roll a little bit, right? Probe, finish at the basket, like shoot, shoot the open jumper when when the ball swings swings his way and he's and he's shown a comfort level doing that but it's the rate in which he's asked to do it I feel like that is leading to a bit more effectiveness do you think am I off base with that or or is that just sort of me seeing what I want to see with this no it's it's absolutely even Vogel said this in post game yesterday is that idea of guys being put in the position to do what they do a lot of times with Crusoe's drives, it's a mentality thing, right? He drives to pass, and he's been looking to drive to score in a way that – I'm glad you brought him up because it's the same thing, and it goes back to those – I think it was after the Heat game where I was like, hey, watch the postgame press conferences where Mike's, I, I think, 100% right with the whole idea of it being a, men, a mental thing, right? And I think one of the notches in LeBron's MVP belt if you want to make that argument is he allowed a lot of guys to coast this first half of the season. And I think we're getting into that last few games and us losing AD and Dennis at the same time. Remember before our losing streak, we had like the worst seven game winning streak of all time, right? We had those three uh, overtime games against bad teams, right? We didn't look good in any one of those wins. One of the the memories from that is LeBron hits the three on Plumlee in overtime against Detroit that essentially clinches the game. And I think someone came over to be like, to, to to dap him up or whatever and he's like man get like get out of here right like he was annoyed he was irritated and he's carried so much of that that it allowed a lot of guys to kind of coast and that night where we lost to Miami and then the the vets the guys that are not just the vets but that are part that were part of the go-to lineups when it came to win an NBA championship in a playoff run Alex Crusoe KCP those guys going Yo, we need to start picking this up a little bit it, because it, we see what LeBron is having to to shoulder, the burden he's trying having to shoulder. And look, we're all tired and all that, but it's time. It's go time. We're, we're here. Mike, we're going into these last couple of games. We've got two more before the All-Star break. I think mentally LeBron with Dennis coming back, the first plays of each two games were really significant to me. I'll just bring up the Golden State one. 
He ball pressures Kelly Oubre, picks him up about 70 feet away from the basket. Oubre is not a great ball handler. And this is when a team runs their uh, an ATO. They've the first set play of a game. It is a set play. It's something you go through in the walkthrough and shoot around for the game the day uh, the day of the game. So it's organized. It's something that's meant to exploit how the defense likes to guard you. We're very aggressive on the perimeter. And so they have Kelly Oubre passed the ball to, I think it was Draymond and then set a down screen for Steph and Steph would normally pop out. You worry about him shooting, but it was a hard curl, right? And after Oubre passes the ball, after LeBron ball pressures him, they run this down screen and LeBron peels off, jumps into the passing lane and gets the steal. And that's that middle linebacker, free safety type stuff. But just the like picking up 70 feet away, Mike, and then being super engaged from the beginning, that sends a message to everybody else like, yo, it's go time. And I think we're we're trying to get a little four game winning streak going into the 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 all star break. I really think that that's that's the goal here. And I think that we are essentially seeing the end of a preseason of some sorts for the Lakers. And we're starting to emerge into those. All right, it's time to to get down to business. Yeah, it's a great point you made about the first play of the game from LeBron. And it made me think of the Portland game, too. In the first offensive possession, LeBron gets the ball. And I'm trying to remember who's guarding him. Maybe it's Covington. Uh, maybe, it's Derek Jones, uh, maybe it's Derek Jones Jr. And he just immediately he basically goes into the post, calls for the ball. And bully balls his way to the rim. I think he ends up turning the ball over, and it, maybe it was the travel. travel. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. yeah. And it, was that what you were just referring to? Uh, no, I was. Uh, there was a we trapped on the defensive end, and then Keith right. jumped the passing lane at the right. the first defensive possession. So like Keith's activation was part of go. that too. But but carry on the there offensive yeah. end was the same. And so if LeBron like LeBron doing that right away, it sort of puts Portland on alert. Like, uh oh. All right, this is going to be a long night. Like he's going to this. He's not, he's not going to the ISO. You know, wait for twenty seconds, step back, uh, shot. You know, to, to sort of just feel things out and get like that's the that's the like yeah. LeBron's coming today in Portland. Even though Portland ended up because there was another turnover, Portland made a couple of shots, but it didn't feel like being in the arena. It didn't feel like that it was going to go the way of the OKC game or the Detroit game where they just were flat and the other teams took a lead. And we saw the Lakers quickly chipped away um, at that Blazers lead because of that style that they were playing at. And then Pete, the other point you made that, uh, that you talked about with Caruso in the screen roll, that's one of Stu's favorite points, right? For folks that like to watch the Laker broadcast, whenever a guard drives and isn't looking to score first, Stu will say basically the same thing. Like if you are driving to pass, it's really hard to score. If you are driving to score, you can always pass if the shot doesn't present itself. And Darius, I don't know if that's something you used to teach the kids, but it it totally makes sense. It, it's that same thing. It's a mindset. It's a it's a and it's an activity of the of the brain of the of the defense of just knowing what you're going to do on the court. You always want to be a threat offensively, and I think that was probably one of our biggest issues with like Rajon Rondo last year during the regular season is this idea, and it speaks to sort of Marc Gasol point, Pete, that you were making right. earlier. Right? It's it's like make yourself available as a threat in order to occupy the defense in in a way that then allows that basketball IQ you have to flourish as a passer and a playmaker for others. I thought that's why Rondo was so effective in the playoffs last season is he said, I'm putting my head down, I'm going to the rim, and I'm looking to score. And and if you don't come over to try to stop me, I'm going to get a layup. I'm going to get another layup. I'm going to get another layup. And then suddenly all those passes that you want to make from the outset 
anyways, those open up because then all the help comes. And now it's a dump off pass to AD for, for a dunk or that corner man sinks and it's a kickout pass or or the defense is watching you and Kuz cuts top side and it's a drop off pass to him. And all of that stuff gets the whole team going. And, and so for Alex specifically, I think it's super important. He's an athletic big guard. When you saw him standing next to Steph Curry or saw him standing next to Dame, like it's like, oh, Alex has two, three inches on both of these guys. Like he's just a bigger player than a lot of these these guys. And 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 so him especially, I think if he can start to work the interior as a scorer and come off of these ball screens looking to just be a threat a little bit more, it's going to help him so much more as as uh, the season progresses. And one last point I wanted to make, and, and, and this goes back to, to your point, Pete. LeBron always talks about the season being a marathon, right? So this season, and we talked about this some on our schedule pod, but I almost view this season as two half marathons because the season is so split in half and they see a finish line coming up for this half marathon. And I think that it's in sight now and they've got their sprinting legs on a little bit like let's go into this break strong. And we said it the other day, like they could not go in to this all-star break on like an eight game losing streak. Well, guess what? They snapped that, and now they've got two straight wins. I honestly do feel like they'll be disappointed in themselves if they don't up that to four straight wins. There is going to be another lull in the second half, and let's just accept that now, not freak out when it happens. There are way more games after the break than there typically are. Um, and there's going to be a long travel stretch. There's going to, like somebody else is going to knock on wood, have an injury. So just say that now. And then we don't have to repeat all of the same points that we've been. I, I take it. We will. We'll have to repeat. We will absolutely have to, and we we will repeat the same points. That said, uh, we do look like we got our sprinting legs back. And after the break, I want to talk about how we're using them. If you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms.
And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for just the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com backslash join. That's bwhustle.com backslash join. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily Instant Karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in Instant Karma to 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma Money. Progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com backslash win money. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated, member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. So one of my favorite parts, probably my favorite basketball part of coaching high school ball is the prevalence of zones and traps and all of these kind of aggressive, what you would consider junk defenses on the NBA level. And, you know, conventional wisdom was always throughout my my life with basketball and all of ours around the same age is oh, you can't play zone in the NBA. Remember when that was always the the thought is you can't play any zone in the NBA. The shooters are too good. The ball handlers are too good. You can't full court press or anything. And over the last couple of years, you've seen the introduction of that more and more. Now, I would agree that we won't ever see an NBA team where that's their core defense. That's the main thing that they do. But it is, you know, it is a, a big part of the NBA now. What I've loved seeing is we are a really unconventional team with the trapping. And I want to go back not just to yesterday's game, but also the uh, the game against Portland. How we're using Trez. I, you saw me all pumped up on Twitter with us being aggressive with that. But I loved trapping. I used to run a one three one trap. And that was, yeah, it was that was my favorite like X's and O's part of the high school game. Right. Was the goal was being like, look, I'm going to get this kid to make a pass, a skip pass to the other side of the court to the open man, because that's who I'm leaving open, right? And let's see if he can make that pass while I've got my most athletic and uh, instinctual guy playing free safety, defending two on the weak side, right? And the whole idea of defending two on the weak side is conventional parts of man defense, right? Or pick and roll defense when we talk about tagging from the weak side. That's essentially what you're doing. Um, yeah. What, so let's say let's say your dudes get out there and they execute one of your traps and the guard on the other team throws the ball away and you're whoever you're standing for like LeBron free safety role picks it up. <laughs> what's your what's your reaction on the sideline? Oh, it's just like, oh, right. Like, it's like total victory. Like, you no, know, but I'm saying, I'm saying literally like do you do do you do like kind of quiet fist pump? 
Do you do do you do like the aggressive clap? But I, I want to oh, yeah, know exactly good, what you do, what you would do. I'm an aggressive clapper, um, and I you know shouting encouragement like let's and and then but it's also like on to the next play, right? Okay, but you show a little, you show a little fire, you show a little emotion on the. Track. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm definitely no. I'm not like a quiet. I'm a I'm a, I'm an emotional coach for sure. Stay, like Stan Stan Van Gundy a little bit like. Yeah, okay. yeah, in more ways than one. <laughs> Just, yeah, like after he, I, you get Stan. Like he, he still seems like kind of mad, but he's all like, but he's also like, you know, he gets he gives you that into the camera, like the emotion. That's what. Like high high school is different in that you're trying to get much younger players to kind of understand concepts. So those breakthrough moments where a guy like, so for example, if we're trapping and you know, we're let's say we're running our 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 diamond press right, and we're trapping corner you don't get beat sideline, right? If you're the trapper on that side, you put your damn foot on the sideline and nobody's beating you that direction. And so when that kid finally like stomps his foot on the sideline, it doesn't get beat in that direction. And you end up forcing a turnover. It's very much like that. Yeah, there you go. Like that's it right there. That's how it's supposed to look in a game. What we've been talking about in the film room, what we've been talking about in practice. Anyway, I digress. The Lakers, when you put two on a ball, on the ball, in the, on the NBA level, the ball handlers and the passers and decision makers, they've done all this on the lower levels of basketball. And they're, they were the, oftentimes the press breaker on their team, right? The kid that, you know, can just dribble around the two guys that are trying to trap them. But when you do that, you've got a four on three situation on the rest of the court, Darius. And, that means you have to zone up with those three guys. So you got two on the ball and then three guys kind of playing a zone for everything else that's going on. I think we're really, really good at this. I would love to hear what you see in those particular situations where we're trapping, we're being really aggressive, but also not really giving up open opportunities. So you opened up this by saying, you know, the way that we grew up, conventional wisdom is is like you can't zone the NBA, you can't trap the NBA. The players are too good, the the skill level's too high, and I think that that's for the most part correct. It is, it right? is for the most part though. For the most part, what is not the the missing piece to me when you talk about some NBA players is not the skill level, it's the decision making. And it is what happens when you speed someone up. And I wrote about this in my preview for the Warriors game because the best players, you cannot speed them up. You can't speed up LeBron James. You can't Mm -hmm. speed up Nikola Jokic. You can't speed up Steph Curry or Draymond Green. Like their their decision-making function is too high. That that executive function, right? That that we talk about when you're when you're locked in, those guys see see the game with like in, in like crispy gift form, right? Where it's just like you you can tap your screen and then it's frozen, and everything around you is moving super slowly, and they know exactly what what to do. But guess what? You can speed up an Andrew Wiggins. You can speed up a Kelly Oubre. Mm-hmm. Like and these sort of secondary and third level ball handlers, yeah, they've got skill. They can they can break you down off the dribble. They can go between their legs. They can like drop a defender with a slick crossover. What they can't always do is catch the ball on the move, 
dart into a four on three and then spray the ball exactly where it's supposed to go and do that all within the context of, I don't know, a second and a half, right? While all the defense around you tilts and moves in in a way where the guy looks like he's open, but is he? Right. Oh, there's a defender streaking there. Is that my read? Oh, no, I'm pulling it back. And so these guys are flustered. You know, they're sped up. They're trying to make these these decisions. There's guys streaking all over the court and getting into passing windows. And that 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 executive function that I was talking about starts to break down for players who aren't put into those decision making positions as often, especially at the speed in which the Lakers are asking them to play. And I think it's 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 two-pronged, right, with what the Lakers are doing with some of their aggressive actions at at the point point of attack. A, they know that they're facing teams that have sort of really um centric offensive systems around one or two guys. And so they are throwing pressure at That's those right. guys and saying, you're not going to be be us so someone else's and then i think the second part of that is what i was just talking about right it's it's yeah and so not only are we going to force these other guys to be us but we're going to ask you to do it in a scramble situation where you have to then make a play on the move against athletic guys who are just sort of flying all all around the court it's just funny thinking about the about the way that height impacts things and it's such a it's kind of a silly almost obvious point in the nba but with the basket being 10 feet one of the reasons that you can't or maybe the biggest reason you can't trap lebron james is because he's six nine and he just can he can see everything over the top same thing with kevin durant same thing with jimmy butler um same thing with you know if you want to go back into the day even kobe you know at six six jordan six six tall enough to be able to see over the top well, Steph and Dame, for as much as they can continue to be um, so problematic because of their shooting range, the Lakers handled that. And in in, in same thing, even to an extent with James Harden, although I'd say he's much harder to trap um, depending on what the what the teammates are. But even even Harden is closer to being able to do that if you're trapping with some bigger guys. And so that's what the Lakers unlocked and, and why I think it works against Golden State um, and against Portland. Now, if those guys had better teammates uh, that were you know healthy and at this point that then maybe that equation changes some but if you've just got that one guy and it's a guard then you'd be silly not to trap uh, it, it for you know decent portions of the game like the Lakers have done well Mike and this is why Brooklyn is probably the biggest problem this is where I was going go there this. those escape right? passes are going to James Harden Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant for sure but yeah. for the most part even the Lakers are so solid, especially when AD is back. But even without AD, they still have good enough defensive players all over the court that they trust almost everyone else to be able to contain against even a really good offensive player. Where it's going to be hard is against a great offensive player, right, Pete? And, and that's so, right. talk to me some a little bit with like where you were going. Yeah, that's go that's absolutely the ideal situation is to get like Bruce Brown making those fast paced decisions, or even a Jeff Green who's a good player and a veteran who's had pass passing ability all the way back to his Georgetown days, right? But isn't maybe that threat to hit that pull up jumper off of a quick closeout, right? You want those guys, and this is. 
what's interesting to me is, you know, we talked, we've talked a lot about the, and everyone has about the evolution of the game with respect to the three point line. There's a parallel evolution of the game on the defensive end. And the game has become a lot more specialized than it used to be in that you've got your primary ball handlers, your three and D guys, and your bigs who are either pick and pop guys, uh, guys who can run good passers, who can run delay sets and handoffs with, or their roll and lob threats. But everybody, the league is much more specialized in terms of individual players. And what's what I love about this style of defense is that you can dictate the terms to opposing offenses, right? Opposing offenses that aren't built around Kelly Oubre or Andrew Wiggins or Juan Toscano Anderson to make decisions, right? They're good at other things for sure. But if we're trapping and if we're rotating because there's advantage initially, and I've been talking a lot about this idea of advantage, creation, extension, and, and finishing it. There's an initial advantage, but the first guy isn't going to be open, Mike, when that guard throws that escape pass. And you're absolutely right that the idea of size is a big part of this. When they throw that escape pass, that's not going to be just like an automatic shot right there. In fact, it almost never will be. It's those other three guys zoning up on those four. And ideally, you get the ball to that one or two guys on the court. And even Brooklyn has this, where the one or two guys where they're going to have to make a very fast decision that if they were the ones dictating the terms on offense, they would never be put in that position. Their their decisions are always, am I going to shoot or attack this close out or swing it on to the next guy now it's a matter of am i going to uh drive and kick you're asking them to make drive and kick decisions you're asking them to make fast pull up jumpers like you can score against this lakers team when we're locked in defensively like this uh but you have to execute at a very high level that's why a a brooklyn finals would be super fascinating to me but what I loved, Mike, about this is that we did all of this without AD because AD covers with a lot a lot of defensive mistakes and a lot of defensive sins. We held both the Warriors and the Blazers, both two really good offenses, under 95 points on back-to-back nights, which just isn't happening in today's well, NBA. And, what's, and this is to turn my, I don't know, 80% of what I've said today to LeBron and keep it going there. Who is the guy – that played more of the AD role than anybody else. hundred percent. Yep. So he had four steals and three blocks against Portland. And then he had two steals and two blocks against Golden State in 24 minutes. And there, there's nobody else on the team capable of doing that. There are only, I don't know, three maybe guys in the league that are capable of doing that and on defense. And LeBron's one of them. And it's just, I, I, I really think that we, we don't think about him in the context of the destructive force that he can be on defense that he doesn't have to call upon all the time. But my favorite examples of this, you know, some of them are from the playoffs last year in the bubble, but you know, from those Cavs warrior series, when the Cavs would go super small and play LeBron basically at the five and it would be Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. And, you know, Darius, I know you watch these games super closely. It'd be Steph and Clay and they'd be out in the perimeter and LeBron would be, I don't know, 15, 20 feet away from the rim. And they just wouldn't even think – they'd be like – they'd think about driving and then they look up and all of a sudden they know LeBron's going to be there. Like that's the that's the AD factor that's always there for him. But LeBron can call upon that when he wants to and when he needs to. And it's just a, it's just a fascinating thing to me to watch him with a closer lens like we have these last couple of games on that end without AD as pizza. 
LeBron at his peak level defensively, I think we take for granted his size defensively. I think we always frame his offensive prowess around the fact of how big he is, right? Like he's so big and so strong. And we apply that mostly to his offense, right? He's in the post. He's a freight train in transition. When he's above the rim, it's just like, oh my goodness, look at him. He's such a supreme athlete. But you saw it a couple times, even against the Jazz in that first quarter when the Lakers were really engaged defensively. Um, And I think you saw it definitely in these Portland and Golden State games is when he decides he's going to close out on you and then contain your dribble. And then basically when, when LeBron gets in his stance and then he's pointing, right? Like this is where, this is where I want my help. And then he shades you in that direction. And then you try to shoulder a guy like LeBron or you try to shoulder LeBron, LeBron, LeBron eats that up. He just takes it and he absorbs it. And then he's riding you. And that's how he got that one block on Dame, right? It's like, he said, go ahead, Dame. You're going to try to put me in the sidecar. I'm kicking you out of the driver's seat and you're going to tumble on the sidewalk. And now I'm driving the damn car because Dame put up that left-handed shot and LeBron went up, tapped it. And this is where I'd love to transition both figuratively and literally here, because Pete, you talked about the sprinting legs and what's been happening with the defensive end. To me, one of the places this this is showing up most is the Lakers commitment to transition offense, man. It's, it's like they are playing so much faster now and looking to run so much more than what they were a month ago or even two weeks ago when, especially when the losing streak was there, but LeBron's commitment to changing ends from defense to offense to me has been one of the most stark differences that I've seen in his approach um, in these last two wins. We have to defend like we have been to run like this. Right. Uh, like that's the the foundational piece of that. You talked a lot about LeBron's on ball defense there and his understanding of how to shade guys. And he's an, you're not going to bump him off with the elbows and forearms and shoulder bumps that really consist of a lot of uh, that are the the ingredients of a lot of shot creation in the NBA today because he's too damn big. Right. And. On top of that, you get this wonderful understanding of angles like that play against Dame to add to that. There was a point where he released Dame on that drive because Dame was kind of more going toward the corner than he was toward the basket. And LeBron peeled off of him so that he could meet him at the basket, right? Because he knew that Dame driving at this angle isn't going to get all the way to the rim. I'm going to alter my angle a little bit and meet him and block this off of the backboard. And that's exactly what he did. That defensive prowess also applies to his off-ball work where he's jumping passing lanes and that we talk a lot about his mental understanding of the game on the offensive end, but it's true on defense as well. He knows from the defensive standpoint all to, better than anybody in the game what the ball handler's decisions are in any given moment. So there are a lot of his steals. He's already taken a step or so before the pass is even delivered because he knows like based on the defensive composition based on the offensive players and their skills there was a steal he got against Draymond yesterday where was it was it Anderson who tried to loop around anyway Draymond's driving it was Oubre it was Oubre thank you 
it was Draymond driving on a short roll. We had trapped Steph. Uh, Draymond's driving to the basket. And you know that Draymond's not looking to score. But LeBron was the one who had two on the weak side. And this is whenever you're trapping and being aggressive, the way you get away with that is having one guy defending two, the two furthest player, farthest players away from the ball. LeBron is often that guy. Anyway, the, he could have either, I think, kicked it out to the corner, but he saw Ubre looping around for a cut, and that would have been a huge dunk if that play gets completed. LeBron jumps the passing lane, you know, just hauls ass down the court, makes a layup in, in transition, and gets us out in the run uh, on the run in a way where, like, that defense is just a catalyst for us to run like that. We were able to do that all the way through game six of the NBA finals last season when we're playing that way. And that's one of my favorite things about this team, Mike, as a a basketball nerd is that we are stylistically different on defense in the same way that remember we'd talk about how Houston in a one game type sense was difficult to defend. Ours is a little more sustainable in a playoff series because nobody else quite plays this way in the NBA. And it's fun to see the Lakers on kind of the cutting edge of basketball and how to defend this three-point centric league with between Vogel and LeBron and, of course, Anthony Davis. And then all these wonderful defenders that we have. We have such a defensive identity that we're really on the cutting edge of what great defensive basketball is. And it's, it's great to watch on a when they're locked in like this. And my final thought to wrap this up is so Phoenix is now coming to town and the Lakers have not played Phoenix yet. They have not seen the Booker and Paul backcourt, and that's going to present some different problems than what they've seen. Certainly the last two games where they've been able to zero in and lock in on Dame, lock in on Steph and everything else filters off that. Well, you can't really do that just with Chris Paul when Devin Booker's on the weak side and Booker is right now in a great scoring rhythm. So I'm real curious to see what Vogel has cooked up, uh, what LeBron has cooked up for them. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it takes them a little time to figure out, and by little, I mean, you know, a shorter time than it takes almost anybody else to figure out what to do. But it is going to be a new look, uh, and, and I'm I'm excited to see how this matchup plays out for sure. Yeah, that that is more of the territory, Mike, of Damian Lillard and CJ in last year's playoffs. We were more aggressive, but we didn't quite go all out and trap the way that we did against James Harden in the second round. Right. Booker's bigger though, Pete Booker, like Booker's oh, a little sure. different from CJ. And no, it, it's yeah. certainly problematic. Right. And this is part of the fun is, and then if we yeah. knock on wood, get to a Brooklyn finals, right. Then it becomes three scores and three guys who can get their own shot. Can you play this way when there's not just one, not just two, but three, this right. is kind of that that transition, that team in between that. And so that's going to be a super fun matchup. And then c- containing De'Aaron Fox the night after that is is a challenge in and of itself as well. So this is a fun stretch of the season. I really feel like we're getting on track. Um, got the Suns coming up on Tuesday, the Kings coming up on Wednesday, then the All-Star break. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block. An NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. 
a Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Let's go. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.